to breakfast What's before lunch? It's Austin, Texas It's weird brunch You okay? Yeah, you gotta charge a jewel every now and then Oh, I know. Oh, I don't have your jewel charger here anymore. You took it back. Well, it made me feel like a step parent or something. It's like having your toothbrush here, but it's your jewel charger. <laughs> you, you are a really good stepmom to me. Thank you. I've been meaning to tell you that. I appreciate it. Is your microphone working, Lisa? Yeah. Yeah. Is it not? Karina, what does it sound like to you? Uh, sounds like laptop microphone. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, now nothing's working for me. No, it's. Not, I mean, it sounds fine. I'm using laptop microphone. Okay. It won't let me. Oh, it won't let me change anything because we're recording. Duh. Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. If it sounds fine, I'm good. It sounds, yeah, I can understand you. Okay. It sounds okay. Okay. Oh. Y'all sound far away from me. Um, we are. That's true. It's true. <laughs> Y'all sound far away. Because, yeah. Well, Karina's way far away in, in, I almost said Colorado, in Chicago. Chicago. I have already had a pizza and a hot dog and real Italian food. Oh, so you're coming back? Yeah, that's all. She, did all, she did all the things. Mm-hmm. I can come back now. That's- and I rode my bike and the ground was flat and there were bike lanes everywhere. Hmm. That, was, that was my most exciting discovery that Chicago has no hills. Yeah. I what mean, dream is this that you had? <laughs> <laughs> there were bike lanes everywhere. <laughs> Not a hill were, in sight. And they were painted green and protected by pylons. <laughs> uh, well, that doesn't sound too cowboy to me. <laughs> Duh, you sure you're still in America? Because yes. that don't sound like America. That doesn't sound like the America I know. I think That's you went too far. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Whitney, I know you watched the Woodstock '99 documentary. I did. Karina, did you have you seen this? No, I heard about it. What's What's the big takeaway that we didn't know by living through it? Uh, one of the two guys that ran it is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Probably, really, he's up bigger there. Than, bigger than Firefest, Billy guy. Yeah, yeah. He he had a lot of commentary like they shouldn't have been dressed that way, and mm-hmm. those girls were asking mm-hmm. for it. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Was and that then, now or was that in 1999? That now. was a now interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. D- shameless too. Just shameless about it. Jesus. I mean, it's bad either way. I'm not saying it's okay in 1999. It just would have been more like unnotable. I mean, yeah, or like, oh, you didn't know better, and now you've learned because a lot of things have been shoved in your face in the last 10, 15 years. But mm-hmm. no, that guy sucks. 
Lots of assaults going on at Woodstock 99. Lots of angry white men at Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh God, Dexter, whatever, the lead singer for The Offspring, really good guy. Really like that guy. <laughs> Wonderful. And even this week, they booted out their bassist mm-hmm. for what, being anti-vax? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. it was their drummer, but yeah. They were like, get fucked, bro. <laughs> Just 10 out of 10. What a good guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm-, I'm not shocked, though. Like, he, it didn't seem like he was one of, you know, rock and roll's bad boys or anything. But they have he- that angry music, like, you know, not angry music, but it's like, look at the, I love it. I do like it. But the people they, you know, attract, I would say. Mm-hmm. aren't the same as they are it depends on the album karina the i see you judging yeah. it depends on the album i will there are they've got an, a couple of albums that are like whoa y'all are mad but like teen angst mad yeah i mean I but feel that's like, what was no. it what's yeah, 99 that, that's same as limp biscuit and everybody else that was there yeah, so. that's true. Oh, also uh, Jonathan Davis, good guy. From Corn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that I said his name as if everyone would just know. I was going to ask, but Karina, she knew. Well, that's Ew. because my friend in college's name was Jonathan Davis. And he had to use his middle name because everybody thought he was the guy from Corn. Did that's he cool. look like the guy from Corn? No. And now that I look back on that, I think he may have been exaggerating that whole everybody thinks I'm the guy from corn part. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, I don't know. That's a look I wouldn't want to have. But. Dreadlocks? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Or like, yeah, as a white dude with dreadlocks, it's not something I, I want. No. Yeah, he's a Nobody little he looks a little melty candle nowadays. That's the thing with rock stars. They don't hello. They don't age well. No, no. I mean name a rock star who's aged well. Uh Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Um, point. Does Uncle Jesse count because he was no. in bands? <laughs> he was in a yes. band. Played but they were Beach Boys cover bands, which I was saying rock star. Okay. Well, I feel like every rock star starts as a cover band and then. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Aged well, aged well. I don't, I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Mark McGrath. And yeah. That, yeah. His voice isn't he what just it used maintained. to be, though. He, he can't sing like he used to. I have right. never worried about what he's I'm singing. just saying, <laughs> I, I saw them within the past, like, oh, five, six years, and their performance, it was like one of those summer land whatever tours where it's like the gin blossoms and sugar rain, and like, what is happening? Oh, just, it's the dog's time to go to the dog park, and she is making sure that Trish knows it. Oh, Lisa Damn. was going like this, and I was like, Lisa, is that 
did pickles somehow develop a very deep, deep part? Like, what's happening? Uh, puberty. She did. Um, yeah. Now there's like, there's, I feel like there's more than one mosquito in here. And that mm. makes me think that there's like a bunch of baby mosquitoes somewhere in this room. Mm. Skeeters around that's fucking. Terrifying. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's what they do. They love doing that. Love to fuck. What the hell? Okay, so now you made me do research, and now I know that Sugar Ray released an album in 2019. That's surprising. What was it called? My voice isn't as good as it used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, it's... Wait. That can't be true. Somebody's fucking around on... Wasn't Sugar Ray's, like hit album like called 1459 or something like that because they knew their 15 minutes of fame were like up uh that was the follow-up to their hit oh okay okay well thank you (laughs) yeah oh i know all about sugar ray my first spouse um was in a music video what um off of 1459 i'm sorry yeah. Which music video? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Not one of the big ones. It was like a B side thing. That's still yeah. fucking cool, though. Like, print that on your tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was in Sugar Ray music video. No big deal. Yes, they released an album called Little Yachty. Oh my no god! No relation to the rapper, I guess. And uh, in addition to, wait, I think it's all covers. I guess they, uh, is they it cover like the, yacht rock covers. No, well, they cover the Pina Colada song, so maybe yes. <laughs> it's maybe that no. song twelve times, sung twelve different ways. I <laughs> fucking would <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> I've just been really high lately. Hey, and if, 10 years before that, they released an album called Music for Cougars. So they know what they're doing. Yeah, that, you know what oh, I mean? That all tracks. Yeah. It's not like trying to do new, new stuff. That's mm-hmm. what's up. You follow your your audience. You don't try to yeah. don't try to convert Gen Z. They don't give a fuck. Mm-mm. No, they really don't. They don't know what a band is. Mm-mm. Also, I just yeah. I mean, I feel like obviously like it's the young one, young people who are making good new music that like really gets through to anyone. And the older you get, the more you start to make the fucking boring albums where you're like, I'm happy about my life. I'm, I love people and like getting older. And it's like, this is all fucking terrible. Nobody wants that. People want, see, you know, yeah, that. Seal released an album uh, a couple years ago, and one of the tracks on it is him just complaining about airport security. See, <laughs> yes, what? It's pretty amazing. It's about what? him getting bored in a TSA line and fantasizing about like fucking the TSA agent. It's pretty awesome. I feel like yeah, the only way you're able to make a good album as like an older person is to like you know, go through something traumatic again. Like you get divorced, you do the divorce album. 
you get diagnosed with cancer. You live like you were dying. Yeah. You know, that's how it happens. It's not happiness. People don't want to hear about fucking happiness. I know I don't. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. I know I don't. Um, Um, Can I tell you all something that's slightly weird that happened to me? That is the point. Well, it's supposed to be full on weird for this podcast. So weird it up. This one's only slightly weird. If I told y'all that D Barnes retweeted me, do you know whomst I'm speaking of? The name is ringing a bell. D period? Mm -hmm. Like, I know how to spell it. D-E-E. Okay. A rapper? So she, uh, Dr. Dre famously... Assaulted her? Yes. Um, Oh, okay. Years and years and years ago. Uh, How do I know this? Well, the song Guilty Conscience by Eminem. Um, So I've always... I feel like I've always known her name, at least since I was like 13, 14. But... uh, she retweeted me yesterday and I was like, what? Cause she does not follow me. I do not follow her. What was it about? I just said, I just said, I want Ronan Farrow's to do list. Valid. And right. Yeah. And then I was, she doesn't have a check mark. So I like had to go down a rabbit hole to be like, is this D Barnes? Right. Cause I, I, it, I've always, uh, admired her every time I've seen her speak on on anything, and so I was like, "What the? What is happening?" Because I said Ronan Farrow. How did I show up in the- anyway? It was a a weird, like, how did this person find me? Hmm. But did your yeah. tweet get more? Like, did it blow up at I all? Mean, like, I don't know what her following is like. She she has a decent following, um, and she's you know big into activism. But uh, I got a few likes that I probably wouldn't have. Nice, not a okay. big. I was just more like, <gasps> she's famous to me. Lisa's yeah, getting that D Barnes ball. highlight mm-hmm. of the week. Mm-hmm. My other highlight is when. Uh, I forget the band that got on me for tweeting about them, but I did tweet about uh, Coyote Shivers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck is he doing right now? I remember you. <laughs> he replied. Yeah. Oh, I feel it's, like I remember you talking about that or him. Maybe. At some point. I mean, it was years ago. So maybe. But. I'm hoping that one day he and I can be friends. I've got questions all around Empire Records, but of course. Mm -hmm. My highlight of the week. Uh, So at work, we've been, because Austin is, you know, into uh, stage five and the highest number of hospitalized people with COVID, uh, we've been doing like different safety protocols for shows and stuff and everyone has an opinion as to whether it's good or bad or not enough or too much and then uh this one guy on twitter just replied back and said that's reasonable and that was it 
And I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, thanks, dude. I love that you took the time just to reply and say reasonable thank you. That's all I want. So that it's rules. Like the, That's it's like the opposite of a meh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a hey. Yeah. Seems oh, reasonable. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So sure. I went down a small rabbit hole. Uh, Whitney, you posted, you retweeted that Jason Isbell had canceled uh, Cynthia Woods because yeah. they wouldn't work with him. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, well, I've been to that venue quite a few times when I did time in Houston. And so I was like, I wonder what these, this demographic is going to say. And on like, I didn't spend too much time on it, but almost everything I saw just immediately replying to him was like, yeah, I get it. I'm really bummed, but makes sense. Hope to see you next time. Yeah. Well, the Isbell stuff was great because like, obviously, uh, so Jason Isbell is in Texas right now doing a tour and we had three sold out shows with him and he was like, I want to require either a vax or a negative test within the past like 72 hours. And we were like, cool, we're totally down with that. Did it. And then the show in Houston that was supposed to happen like the day after ours ended, the venue wouldn't comply. And Jason Isbell was like, hey, this is canceled. Sorry, they wouldn't comply. And I'm not, you know, I'm sticking to my guns. I said, this is how it would be. And y'all aren't going to do it. So I'm not going to do it. And then Mm -hmm. that venue put out something that was like, the reason why is because there just wasn't enough time and we don't have the staffing, blah, blah, blah. And Jason Isbell came back and was like, this is a straight up fucking lie. Y'all are lying. You wouldn't do it. Live Nation. I didn't see that part. I retweeted that part too. And he was like, Live Nation was down and it was your owner of your venue who fucking said that y'all weren't going to do it. So don't even try. Oh, wow. It's, it's pretty great. Uh, I retweeted it on my Twitter, that follow-up one. So oh, go find I it. Love or that. just go to Jason Isbell's Twitter. It's I highly recommend following him also, even if you're not like that into that type of music. He's fucking delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, another highlight. I loved seeing that. Drama. It's just wild, like, who and what and where these, like, changes are coming from Yeah, that need to be coming from our our mommies and daddies in the government, and they're not. No. And so school districts, of course, are trying, you know, mm-hmm. they've got to fight this shit. And then we've got Jason Isbell. Uh, big- it's just bizarre. You know what I haven't seen? Hmm. Illinois and any of these charts. <laughs> well, okay. Yes. But before I get too much on my high horse, if you find the charts on the CDC that <clears throat> go by per capita, we, we sure as fuck show up. Mm. So the thing is, you know, compared to California, Florida, and New York, which have many big cities and many populated areas. Mm-hmm. Illinois is Nebraska with a large city in it. Mm-hmm. So like we don't, yeah. But when you go per capita, we all of a sudden bloop, there we are. Mm-hmm. Right along with everybody else. Well, I got to go. <laughs> but, you know, I you were better than us. 
people complaining about wearing masks. They just do it. And the vaccination rate's like way over 80%. That's cool. Mm. So the COVID infections are like running rampant, but the hospitals are staying empty and people are just weathering it out because everybody's fucking vaccinated. That's all it took, America. That's why I moved here to Canada, Chicago. Canada, Chicago. Where we have bike lanes. We have bike lanes and, God damn bike and the lanes. Delta variant, but it's under control. Oh, yeah. It's barely even a variant. It's just like Delta loves to infect. And it shows. Right. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, should we get started? I'm sorry. I have a have to go to work tonight so oh, <laughs> i know yeah. speaking yeah, of huh. going out and going to uh, stuff mm-hmm. but well I that's do have a show tonight too so see? you do i know open mic don't get damn oh yeah i didn't even think i was like oh i wonder if lisa's on the show and then it was like no 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 wait that's right you're you're not here no it's okay I couldn't go anyways. <laughs> uh, welcome to Weird Brunch. Yeah, we I'm Lisa Friedrich. I'm Whitney Lamond. I'm Canada Magyar. Canada <laughs> Magyar. going to be Canada for the rest right. of my life. <laughs> uh, who wants to go first? Well, I have me a Chicago story because I just decided to go native right away. I could kick that off. Do it. Let's let's go. Long. Everybody sure. who's listening is only thinking about bike lanes, so let's just yeah. stay in the stay in the yeah. lane. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this, but the other thing that Chicago's famous for, besides its many many bike lanes, is having tall buildings. Um, it's the home of the skyscraper. Yay, skyscraper was invented here. Woohoo, civic pride. And of course, from 1974 to 1998, the tallest building in the world was here. Still here. The Sears now Willis now Aeon Tower. Um, longest, tallest building in the world since 1900. So it, it was the tallest at 1450 feet um so isn't that a now is that a mile no that would be 5280 mm. feet lot, okay lot. goodbye although um frank lloyd wright the infamous architect who also worked out of chicago did design a one mile high tower that people still are debating whether or not that was a prank because he did it just before he died Anyway, um, I'm telling you about this, uh, and also like just dropping some notes here that the the tallest building currently in the United States is the new World Trade Tower in New York at 1776 feet tall. Get it? Do you well, get it? Yeah, Do I got it. it. I got it. Mm-hmm. Sign in some documents. Uh, yes. Question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the twin towers were taller then no no they were not that's why i ask questions i'm here to be dumb be the voice of the dummies they were right around 1400 feet there was nothing taller than the willis tower until 1998 um when 
they built the Patronus Towers in Kuala Lumpur. There's something, there's something coming here. The point is, okay, so the person, the architect who designed the Patronus Towers in Malaysia, who broke the Sears Towers record, also had designed a skyscraper for Chicago that was approved by the city and about to be constructed that was even taller. In fact, it was 2,000 feet tall, which would have made it the tallest building in the world um, up until 2010 when the Burj Khalifa got built. Um, the Burj Khalifa, you know, that one from the Mission Impossible movie, that one's stupid tall. It's 2,770 feet. Wild looking. Half a mile. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but still, there was a 2,000 foot tall skyscraper that would have been the tallest building in America even now planned to go right next to the Sears Tower. So it was going to have 500 extra feet and they were going to have an observation deck with a special lip on it with a window in the floor so that you could walk out and look down on the Sears Tower's observation deck. Like, mm. yeah, big tower. That's like, if the, you know what I mean. That's, yeah, this is all just like, dicks on dicks <laughs> it is dicks on dicks and dicks all right so that was designed by caesar pelli who ended up doing Patronus towers breaking the record himself um and was going to be developed by lee miglin <laughs> what a name <laughs> some <Miglin>. pig <laughs> is an interesting guy uh, he is uh, the son of a coal miner from central Illinois, um, a Lithuanian immigrant. He started his career selling silverware and pancake batter door to door. But in 1956, he started a real estate career as a broker just in real estate. And then uh, early on, he designed some towers that ended up near O'Hare Airport that were very, very well received and allowed him to start his own big boy firm. Um, so basically, he's like Donald Trump, except he earned it. Um, <laughs> and he was a very well-regarded guy, big philanthropist. People um, actually liked him, thought he was cool. That's I, rare for real estate developers. Mm, yeah. Did you say pancake? batter mm -hmm. door to door yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. what the fuck mm -hmm. when why no well, thank it you was the great depression anyway it's a very depressing situation <laughs> so uh after the success with the towers near o'hare they submitted and got approval for two new towers near the sears tower one called 181 west madison and then of course this um Miglin Beitler Sky Needle. That's the name of the 2,000 foot tower uh, that was planned. 181 West Madison did get built and it does exist today. It was also designed by Caesar Pelli. So it's a beautiful skyscraper and, uh, you know, um, it's not that tall. It's only 680 feet, but it was going to provide support to this 2,000 foot. Tower. I don't know if you know about the Patronus Towers. They're like two towers next to each other with a bridge in between them. And that was the initial um, innovation that allowed people to get to that super tall height. Are they named and after the Harry Potter shit? No, <laughs> they, they predate that. Okay. I don't know what they're named after, to be honest. Maybe the liquor. Um, 
so the same architect was like, I'm going to use this little 181 West Madison as like a countertop for my building to lean on. And it was just a really brilliant idea. Uh, and it ended up getting incorporated into the Burj Khalifa in a weird way. And that's how it got so that one got so tall. So <clears throat> talking about buildings, talking about buildings, where's the weird part? Right. So the uh, 181 West Madison got built in 1989 and the Sky Needle was slated to begin construction in late 1989. They were just about to start digging the foundation when Chicago's real estate market crashed. Just absolutely swinging crash. Nobody was renting office space. The entire city's economy was in a slump and the whole thing had to be put on hold. But this really pissed off Lee Miglin, Lee Miglin because he really believed in this building. He was like, there's going to be a two-story gym in it. And the bottom 12 floors are a parking garage. And the top 12 floors are restaurants. And like, we don't need office space to be good. We, let me build my big, tall tower. And he got really mad. He um, got cock-blocked. He did. Um, so he, by the way, married... Um, he was married to a lady named Marilyn Kletka, who was uh, an entrepreneur known as the queen of makeovers. And she was a staple in 1980s home shopping network shows. So Ooh. like these two kings and king and queen of the eighties, basically his building gets put on hold. He steps back from operations at his firm so that he can work full time on figuring out a way to get this tower built throughout the nineties. You Never think they did the cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so he and his wife spend all their time trying to raise the money and raise the interest and raise the excitement and raise the bookings to build this 2,000-foot-tall skyscraper that will be the tallest in the world. Right up until, and it was just about, again, to get approved for financing in 1996. Late 1996, there was some rumbling that there was enough pre-sales put together to build this new tower. Um, they brought back the architect who hadn't built Petronas Towers yet, so he was so excited about building the tallest building in the world. And in May of 1997, Miglin was found in the garage of his home on Chicago's Gold Coast, where he had been bound at the wrists and his head had been bound with tape with just a little tiny bit of breathing space under his nostrils and he had been tortured with a saw and a screwdriver and his ribs had been broken and beaten and he'd been stabbed and his throat had been slashed with a gardener's bow saw. Holy shit. Yeah. Fuck. So he got, he got bully murdered. Yeah. Like disgustingly Right, overkill one would say. <laughs> yes. And uh, his car has been stolen. So uh, the cops are. You think it was related to cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so the cops are on the lookout for you know where this car would turn up, and the car ended up turning up in New Jersey, where the person who had stolen the car had just killed another person in order to steal their car and drive south. This person's name was Andy. Andy. Let's talk about Andy. So Andy came from Minnesota. And in his life, in his young life, 
he found, you know, he was gay. And that was the 80s. So he went to San Francisco and kind of like lived that life for a while. He came back to Minneapolis and he was known in the gay community as, you know, somebody who was always on the lookout for a sugar daddy. And so he was dating wealthier men and always like posing up to the wealthy and powerful. And he was just the, the type of young, pretty thing who could do that pretty successfully. He had a lot of wealthy, older patrons slash lovers. In 1980, he also uh, was really good at doing drugs. Um, mm-hmm. So in, the 19, in 1997, when all this took place, um, he was hanging around with his close friend, Jeffrey Trail, and he got into an argument with Trail. So he stole Trail's gun and he took it to another person's apartment and he uh, was confronted by Trail and this other guy, David Madison. And while he was being confronted, he picked up a hammer and he beat Trail to death right in front of Madison. With the hammer. Fuck. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, And then he shot Matt. Okay. No witnesses. Come on. So, and then he dropped the gun and he took off. Took off for Chicago. Oh? The cops had a hard time catching up to him because they saw two gay men. There's a hammer on the ground. There's a gun on the ground. They figured they killed Mm -hmm. each other. You know, lovers quarrel. Real homophobic, like. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, then he kills Miglin. So why was he with what, Miglin? Why was he in Miglin's garage? Why mm-hmm. was he in this wealthy real estate developer's garage on the Gold Coast while his wife was out of town? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. To this day, Miglin's family denied that there was anything sexual about it, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's it a was yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. I definitely the. Tying up with duct tape, uh, stabbing twenty times with a screwdriver, slitting the throat with hacksaw—that—that's a, you know that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's into so the motive. Clearly, some sexy, sexy stuff going on there with Miglin and Andrew, Andrew Cunanan, by the way. I fucking rings I up knew bell. it. I rings knew up it. Bell. I was waiting. Oh my god! I was like, this is the fucking guy who killed Versace. Yes. yes, what else? Oh, say I'm sorry. Right, so Andrew. God damn, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cut my shit out. Bleep so it. Andrew drives all the oh, way. It just spoiled for me too, though. I, I had no idea. So okay. Andrew drives all the way to New Jersey, uh, hijacks somebody else's car randomly, just shoots them in the head, and that's how you know they weren't fucking. And then he goes down to Miami Beach, uh, where he parks in front of uh, a giant mansion and waits patiently. For somebody to come outside and around 8 45 on july 15th 1997 uh the owner of that mansion steps outside and canaan gets out of his car and shoots that person once in the back of the head and once in the left cheek with the same pistol that he used to murder his two friends back in minneapolis uh that person that he shot was gianni versace who was another of canaan's Mm. okay he panicked he took off he was on the run for eight days at this point cops had started to put together that this was a killing spree and that all these murders were related and that it was him uh and he killed himself uh shot himself in the head 
uh, in a luxury houseboat in Miami Beach. I mean, I can think of worse places. So, the guy who snapped and decided to take revenge on Giovanni Versace is the reason that the United States of America did not have the tallest building in the world. (laughs) That's so wild. Until 2015. That's so wild to think about. Yeah. How weird. I hope you bleep out mm-hmm. when I accidentally shouted it out oh, of excitement. Okay. It was fun that way. It was. I knew. I knew you would. I just had a feeling what you would know if I said the. the name. Well, you said, like, when you said he was killed in his garage and was like tied, like tied up like mm-hmm. that, and his wife wasn't home. I was like, I fucking. I thought that's what we were. You were going for, but I didn't. I couldn't. I was like, Andy's yeah. not right, but. Andrew Cannon, though that's the thing. Ah, that was yes. I got so excited that was like <laughs> yeah. So I figure you know the Andrew Cannon story has been told fifty thousand times on different, but everybody focuses on the Versace mm-hmm. thing, and they mention the Lee Miglin murder just because it's so sensational. But I'd never heard anybody explain like who Lee Miglin really was and the impact that he was about to have on the world by building a 2000 foot tower that would to this day still be the tallest building in the Western hemisphere by like 250 feet. That's wild. Um, so it's pretty crazy. That's what a butterfly effect. It's crazy. Yeah. It's funny. I feel yeah. like yours kind of fits a little bit with mine, just a little, Ooh. if we're talking about shit that influences other people because, uh, I've been thinking about, well, one thing uh, I've been thinking about how I feel like um, people who have been purposefully spreading like anti-vax stuff, like in the news, Mm -hmm. like Fox News and are like actively killing people basically while they themselves are vaccinated are actually doing crimes against humanity. And I feel like, I hope that some point we get to somewhere where we can actually charge them and hold them accountable for like doing such a huge damage to society and killing hundreds of thousands of people because of their misinformation. So, uh, John sent me this Reddit thread that he found that was like, who has done, what single person has done the most damage to the world? Tucker Carlson. No, there's a lot worse. I mean, he's horrible, obviously, but there's a lot worse people. Um, Like, yeah, the thread is super interesting, but uh, the guy I'm going with, I don't know if he can truly be considered like, the worst worst but he's definitely up there and has fucked over a bunch of well millions and millions of us generations of us and his name is thomas midgley so close niglet midgley anyways so niglet miglin oh i thought you said (laughs) miglet like piglet but with an m no no that's what i thought too that's why i said how do you spell it Oh, M-I-G-L-I-N. Oh. I thought it was like Piglet, like, but. Michelin. That's Sorry. okay. But let's let's dive into Thomas Midgley Jr. 
the man who harmed the world the most. So Thomas Midgley was a mechanical engineer. He's born in 1889 in Pennsylvania, and he's super into like chemicals, poisonous chemicals specifically. And uh, he, he likes to fuck around with chemistry, right? Um, so that's what he does. He works for a bunch of different places. His biggest and, uh, most harmful (laughs) inventions include, excuse me, chemical anti-knock agents. So anti-knock is, uh, you know, like in a diesel, car or whatever. It sounds really loud, right? When you turn it on like a bus or something like it sounds loud. All cars used to sound like that. And he invented this type of chemical mixing that would make it so the gas was contained better through the pipes as it's firing and made your car basically more silent while it was driving. You know, a real major problem, God knows. So he creates leaded gasoline to combat the annoying noises of the regular gas that people had been using. He also creates um, the extraction of bromine from seawater and the use of fluorine to produce refrigerating compounds. So that's a lot. And, uh, you know. Yeah. These are all all things things, that sound okay, but are terrible. So Midgley is part of Charles Kettering's team at General Motors, who we all know. Um, He's working (laughs) in the development of additives for gasoline. And in the early 1920s, Midgley is like, you know what? What if we add tetraethyl lead to gasoline to see if it'll make it less like loud? while this cards are being used. And he's like, it's going to burn more evenly in the illegi- in the engine cylinders, less noise, less damage to the pistons. And if you're hearing the word lead and you're thinking lead poisoning, you would be correct. And no, yeah. it's not that people didn't know lead poisoning was bad. The people, People knowing that lead was bad goes back all the way to 100 BCE in Rome. They knew it could cause insanity. Like, and by the 1920s, what? everyone knows lead what is it? bad. What? Okay, well, hold on. What is lead if they knew about it back then? I thought it was something that was like a, oh, I'll see myself out. I it's just thought a- it was like a chemical thing. It's one of the basic elements on the periodic table and can oh. be found in the ground. <clears throat> okay. But big, Bye. chunky, big, <laughs> the like concentrated like that, however it is, is very bad. That's why you hear about lead poisoning from pencils when kids were, you know, had actual lead in their pencils, lead in paint, mm-hmm. you know, like don't eat paint chips. That's what it comes from because there was lead in paint. Obviously, even now, the gas you buy, it says unleaded, and it's because of this fucking piece of shit, dude. So uh, so 
Thomas Migley is like, I don't care that it's poisonous. We're going to put lead in here. This is working. He said on a phone call to Charles Kettering, the head of GM, quote, can you imagine how much more money we're going to make with this? We're going to make $200 million, maybe even more than that. Uh, so while he's on this phone call, Midgley was actually recovering from lead poisoning because he had just demonstrated <laughs> that it was totally safe to a whole bunch of people by inhaling leaded gas for 60 seconds. And guess what? <laughs> so uh, that sounds like a good high though. because people know that lead is bad uh they start to call it instead of leaded gasoline they call it ethyl gasoline much nicer right ethyl um uh, and they're like okay. people fill up your tanks with this they, there's commercials for it promoting it like your car is gonna run so much smoother it's the best thing ever uh, even though Midgley knew his lead gasoline was poisonous and obviously poisoned him, they all moved forward on it. Uh, lead poisoning can cause insanity, hallucinations, depression, and did end up actually causing the deaths of several employees at the prototype plant in Dayton, Ohio, and at our favorite spot, DuPont in New Jersey and DuPont is really terrible. I think Black Waters is that the movie? Something Waters. It has Mark Ruffalo in it. Anyways, after I saw that, I texted Lisa and I was like, we need to throw away all of our um nonstick pans because they're gonna fucking kill us. So, anyways, fun things about DuPont, just real quick. Uh they're one of the top five out of or one of the top five most toxic water polluters in the world. And this is of 2019. And yeah, the show Dark Waters is uh, about, or the movie was a case led against DuPont for contaminating a town in West Virginia using unregulated toxic chemicals that poisoned thousands of people and ended up causing costing DuPont $670.7 million dollars in settlements because they fucked up so bad. So anyways, garbage. For the next wow. 60 years, lead is spread around the world because of ethyl gasoline. It starts damaging people's IQ levels, nervous systems, on top of other health problems with lead poisoning, cancer, all that fun stuff. A guy named Rick Nevin, who was an economist, wrote a book about the legacy of lead poisoning and found a direct correlation between lead pollution and violent crime in, like, America. <laughs> it's pretty intense because it really does fuck with your brain um, and really messes up kids especially. So... People start to finally be like, oh, maybe maybe this really is some bad shit. And uh, lead-based lead, lead -based paint gets banned in 1978. Uh, but it's estimated that even today, 35% of U.S. households still have some trace of lead-based paint in it, just because that's that was in everything. Um, 
the U.S. Clean Air. What? What was the benefit of putting lead in paint? Is it like a lubricant? I think it helps with consistency, right? Yeah. I'm okay. That makes sense. Um, that checks out. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a scientist, you know, I know everything. Um, so the U.S. Clean Air Act banned the sale of leaded gasoline in January of 1996. So that's a long time that everyone was driving around with leaded gas in their cars. And it was completely phased out by 1999, much quicker. Uh, but there was still more damage that old Thomas Midgley wanted to do. Uh, in 1930, he created or he found that dichlorofluoromethane, it's a mouthful, <laughs> could be used as a refrigerant gas in like household refrigerators and in air conditioners. And uh, kinetic chemicals was like, boom, we love it. Put it in. We don't even care what it does. So this chemical was known as Freon 12. Uh, and to demonstrate that Freon 12 was safe, he inhaled a large amount of the gas and blew out a candle to be like, see, if it was really that bad, it would have like caught on fire and I would have blown out gas, right? This dude just wanted an excuse to, like, to get into inhalants. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this Freon gas is considered to be one of the major contributors to the ozone depletion as we know it. Uh, chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs released by this, and aerosols uh, and damaged refrigerators uh, cause serious and irreparable damage to the ozone layer, as we all know. Um, you know, it's that big old hole it's possibly mm -hmm. even worse than his lead gasoline invention because this is obviously so global and fucking us up right now. Um, boop, boop, boop. Over his lifetime, Midgley was granted 117 patents. Um, in his later years, he received a series of awards. He received the Priestley Medal in 1941, which is about like a medal for doing shit in chemistry. He received the Willard Gibbs Award, which is like making life better through chemistry for people. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, and he was elected chairman of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. But um, in 1940, at age four, 51, Thomas Midgley contracted polio, which was super rare what? because polio generally only affects children. Um, so I assume yeah. it's because he was just already pretty fucked up from inhaling a bunch of fun gases and fucking with lead all the time. Uh, also... Probably an anti Yeah, it could be. Age 40 or age 51 in 1940, he gets fucking polio. Uh, it. Oh, 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 I don't think that I don't know when it was. 
Um, so polio leads to death because your muscles become immobilized. And if it gets really bad, it'll happen to your throat and then you just suffocate. So he doesn't straight up die from polio, but it does leave him disabled and in need of constant help. And he's like, I'm so fucking smart. I'm an inventor. He invents this like pulley system to get himself in and out of bed. But it wasn't that great. And in 1944, he died of asphyxiation at age 55 because (laughs) his own pulley system strangled him to death when it entangled itself around his little midgley neck. Um, Oh, I shouldn't laugh. I mean, (laughs) arguably... Thomas Midgley Jr. contributed to damaging the world more than any other human to date. Uh, So, yeah, maybe I'm okay with him strangling himself to death on his own invention. But, yeah, that's that's Thomas Midgley. Poetry. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. I got, while you were saying so i realized um so my grandfather did a lot of chemical work uh in the 40s 50s 60s and uh some of it was like he got letters from fucking eisenhower thanking him for shit yeah yeah and so mm-hmm. he was in Michigan slash Ohio. And I was like, mm, have, is there some connection there? So I was looking that up and it's going to take me a little bit longer than the few I'm minutes sure I was looking is. that up. But I'm sure. it's spooky. I don't like Los it. Spooky? Los um, Well, uh, mine also has a man who died. There we go. Yeah, it all comes together. Dead man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk about Vince Foster. He was found dead July nineteen ninety three. Nineteen ninety three. There was a really cool administration in the mm-hmm. White House, and he was working with all of the Clinton scandals. Um, so they were were he was working with Travelgate, <clears throat> which uh, seven people in the White House travel office were fired for taking money from the press. Uh, the FBI gets involved in, you know, investigating this. And then all of a sudden rumors spread that the Clintons are, you know, they fired these folks uh, to bring their friends into the travel office. Right. So it's, you know, the Clintons are just trying to help, help their friends out. So they're fucking other people. over. Uh, And then also he was working with Watergate, which, uh, you know, real estate fraud, in Arkansas, blah, blah, blah. Um, enter Kenneth Starr, who takes over the investigation into all of these scandals, uh, which does include Foster's death. Uh, Vincent Walker Foster Jr. Was born in Hope, Arkansas, January 1945, he uh, grew up across the street from Bill Clinton, 
So upper middle class situation here. Um, Clinton said he lived with his grandparents in a modest little house across from Vince Foster's nice big white brick house. Um, Clinton said he was, quote, kind to me and never lorded it over me the way so many older boys did with younger ones. I don't like that. So I don't uh, I don't either. Um, I also don't know why kids in Arkansas are like, I've got a bigger house than you do. (laughs) What a weird fucking brag. Um, Foster was president of the student council at Hope High School with a future chief of staff for the Clinton administration, Mac McLarty. Uh, He was vice president of the student council And then he went on to get a bachelor's in psychology in 1967. Then he went on to the University of Arkansas School of Law. And he did really well in the 70s and 80s as an attorney in Arkansas. Uh, Meanwhile, his buddy Bill is the attorney general, serves two terms as governor for Arkansas. And eventually Foster actually hires Hilsey, as the first female associate at Rose Law Firm. We all know Hilsey is a feminist, and she Mm -hmm. was making moves. Uh, Bill Clinton made Foster deputy White House counsel as soon as he gets elected, Um, and then early in the administration, we're riddled with scandal. We've got Whitewater or whatever, Watergate, uh, Travelgate, and there's a few others that I'll mention at least one more. But um, Foster is also in charge of getting Clinton's presidential appointments confirmed, and he was not making headway because, again, all of these scandals, people are judging the Clintons quite a bit. Uh, That doesn't really stop. Still happening. Uh, As investigations dug into these scandals, Foster got smart and starts taking detailed notes in his journal to avoid sole blame for any of this shit. So Mm. he is, you know, I think it's a really smart thing to do. And I've had to do that before at jobs where if some fucked up shit's going on, you start taking notes, but I think maybe he got a little uh, too detailed, but, um, At some point, he said that Hillary had a, quote, general impatience for him with him for not killing Travelgate, which is like, Mm. okay, you don't need to, like, write down that she was a little. I'm sure everyone can just assume that she was upset about that. I feel like she has the right to be generally impatient about anything or irritated. Like, Uh, great. My my demeanor, if I were her. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 100% of the time. Um, Weeks before he died, he wrote a friend and said, I have never worked so hard for so long in my life. The legal issues are mind-boggling and time pressures are immense. The pressure, financial sacrifice, and family disruption are the price of public service at this level. As they say, the wind blows hardest at the top of the mountain. So he's... Uh, under some stress. Uh, So six months into Clinton's reign, uh, Foster's failures have brought on some stress and some guilt. 
At some point, he's yelling at his boss, and then he breaks down crying later that day in front of his wife, and that's all four days before he died. Typically, he's a pretty level-headed, you know, right in the middle, chilling uh, guy, and then now he's, you know, kind of losing it. Uh, He mentioned resigning from his post and described his work as a, quote, grind, but he feared that he could not handle the personal humiliation of returning to Arkansas in defeat. Mm. Really stressing himself out here. Uh, By July 1993, Foster wasn't sleeping or eating. He was terrified to call a psychiatrist or therapist because it could jeopardize his security clearance. He just went, uh, oh, he went to Arkansas, he called up his Arkansas doctor and he's like, hey, I need some antidepressants. And his doctor's like, sure. And then the next day, uh, Foster is found dead of a gunshot wound to the head in Fort Marcy Park, Virginia. Mm-hmm. So, antidepressants, you got to give them a little bit of time, you know, they're not going to work overnight. That's just, that's just not how the body chemistry works. Um, so let's see. U.S. Park Police noted that he had a gun in his hand and was covered in gunshot residue. The FBI, Justice Department, and Independent Counsel, uh, at the time it was Robert Fisk, all agreed with Park Police. Um, and then Ken Starr did as well in his 1997 report. It had a little bit more details. So between 93 and 97, we're kind of missing some details a little bit. So enter um, the beginning of the Arkansas conspiracy there theory. You go. There she is. Yeah. Here Arkansas. we go. <clears throat> I didn't know it had a. Yeah, I didn't know it had a name. I thought it was just like, oh, the Clintons are lizard people or whatever. They're the Illuminati. But it's, there's a. You can't just call it that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Arkansas does have a, it's easier to say. Um, So skeptics obviously believe that Foster was murdered and then dumped in the park. Uh, His fingerprints were absent from the 38 caliber revolver found in his hand. Um, and there were uh, some carpet fibers and blonde hairs found on his clothing that um, didn't seem, so it seemed like he came out of a vehicle or out of some home and was kind of dragged out here. Um, but Kenneth Starr actually comes back at the 38 caliber no fingerprints with saying that that's not uncommon because those guns don't um, retain prints on the handle because the handle's too coarse. Mm. And then he explained the carpet fibers uh, saying they were consistent with the samples of his, of Foster's home. Uh, However, uh, Vince Foster was not the first Clinton associate associate to die unexpectedly the arkansas conspiracy theory uh has the says that the list has only gotten longer uh this includes barry seal uh he was part of the uh mina or mena arkansas uh it was a cocaine trafficking scandal uh there's a lot of conspiracy around that Is as he well the guy who flew the planes? Um, 
Okay. Yeah. I was like, I know that name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then there was the uh, Whitewater partner, James McDougal, who died in solitary confinement. And then there's Ed Willie, who's found dead by gunshot in the woods four months after Foster was found dead. He uh, died the same day his wife, Kathleen Willie, came out uh, and said that Bill Clinton groped her during a visit to the White House. So that's fucking convenient, mm. isn't it? Yeah. That That's the one that I'm like, eh? okay, I'm on board. Um, Associate White House Counsel Steve Newworth found a draft of a resignation letter uh torn into 27 pieces in a briefcase after Foster's death. Uh, so this was, he died July 20th. This was July 26th. Uh, Newworth passed the letter on to the White House, on to White House counsel, Bernard Nussbaum, who handled the note various times before giving it to Park Police the following evening. So now this is a week out from his death. Um, the Department of Justice, DOJ, yes, stated that the, <laughs> that a smudged palm print was on the note, but no fingerprints. And they confirmed the handwriting as Foster's. Uh, that said. Independent counsel Robert Ray's report regarding Whitewater stated the FBI lab performed a 1995 fingerprint exam of the note and identified Nussbaum's palm print. Three handwriting experts stated that the note was a forgery. Oxford University manuscript expert Reginald Alton. That's such of a course, of Oxford course. name. I love it. Um, he said that the forgery was done by a, quote, moderate forger, not necessarily a pro, somebody who could forge a check, but not much else. And the, uh, but, you know, obviously the final report from the Capitol Police and the FBI said that the handwriting on the note was Foster's. Um, sure, sure, sure. 1997 crime reporter, this is where things get, uh, just throw it out the door. Uh, crime reporter Dan Moldea was hired by a conservative group to publish a book on the Foster case. Moldea found that documents related to Whitewater Corporation were removed from Foster's office on July 22nd, two days after his death, and sent to Clinton's personal attorney. Uh, he said that you could trace the murder to, quote, murder, alleged murder, to Park Police Major Robert Hines. Hines publicly maintains that he incorrectly told uh, other cops, Irving and Ruddy, quote, that there is not an exit wound in Foster's head. I don't think there was anything nefarious here. He was just being approached by a uh, report. Oh, reporters, and he wanted to. He wanted something to say. So apparently, at some point, Robert Hines is like, "There's no exit wound." Blah blah blah. Is that just? Uh, and like then all of this can because he knew it that well. Right. Like, I feel like you can kill yourself and there not be an exit wound. 
Yeah, it's uh, so he said something, you know, around this exit wound that was too close to home. And so now he's like backing off of it and being like, no, I mean, that was a mistake. Right. I didn't mean okay. to say that. Um, And then this is all connected to Trooper Gate, which is insane. And I did not have time. Um. <laughs> But basically, it's a bunch of cops who are uh, going around and finding women of the night to uh, go hang out with, mm, I believe, the Clintons, or at least that is what they were being investigated for. And Irvine and Ruddy are both part of that. I hate, I hate, but I hate that. Because of Watergate, everything has to have gate at the end of it now. And it's something like that. It truly bothers me. Be creative. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was the Clinton administration that really kicked that off. I don't know if that's because, like, you know how everything is, like, get big 30 years later. Mm -hmm. You know? Maybe there Mm -hmm. was just a lot of, like, Nixon-era nostalgia at the time. But, like, the first time I heard gate used like that was Whitewater. And I think it was because water was also in it. Like, oh, Whitewater gate. Isn't that cute? And then he kept getting into scandal after scandal after scandal. And they all got gate thrown on the end of it. Now everything's freaking gate. gate. Mm -hmm. So we can blame Bill Clinton for that. And Nixon. But Trooper Gate. Put them both in there. Well, we can blame Nixon mm-hmm. for everything and then Clinton for that one specific thing. I don't I think we can blame everything on all of them. <laughs> Take them all. all right. All the lizard people are blamed. Mhm. Uh but yeah, since uh Star ruled Foster's death a suicide, that's what everyone is sticking with and Star exonerated the Clintons of any involvement as well as cleared them of wrongdoing in the Whitewater in Whitewater and Travelgate. So we all know Kenneth mm. Starr. We don't all know them. I just realized that um, there are people that were not alive for that. I don't know if there are people that yeah. young listening to this. <laughs> no. I've just been triggered ever since I saw something being called vintage Y2K and I can't live in, I can't live like that. Oh man. I got triggered by a little meme that said that high school kids now, when we, when they hear about the nineties, it's like when high school kids in the nineties were hearing about the Mm -hmm. sixties, the same distance, which that might sound good and normal to y'all, but that blew my mind. (laughs) I no, like, I'm not that old. When I talk about the '90s, do I sound that old? It's fucked up. I do. Yeah. Stop. It's yeah, yeah. I I um I hate it very very much. Mm. I hate it very much. Like I, I both of y'all stories were kind of like, uh, you know, the middle of the 1900s, pretty much, uh, up until like recent history oh i also saw a term modern history what the fuck is that those are opposite (laughs) words i'm mad i don't understand it but it's it's just like 
I think about that all the time where I'm like some fucking 10 year old somewhere is learning about something that happened that I remember yeah, that we were I like nine eleven, man. Like <laughs> they have to learn about yeah. it instead of being Ugh. living there. Yeah. yeah. I still like it's my, fine. I had a 2000 year 2000 Isuzu rodeo and still any car that's like after, starts in the year 2000 is this century still sounds new to me you're like i had a 2000 is the radio like yeah that's new to me yeah that's 21 years old i also think anything with 20 is like whoa (laughs) whoa whoa and then i'm like well did people in the 1800s were they like the 1900s what the fuck i'm sure sure all everybody all the time and and then i get like resentful that i was born in a year that would have you know likely saw seen the turn of that century because now i'm from the 1900s the fuck does that (laughs) i don't like that not your Mm -hmm. choice lisa My age, my choice. I was born in 2000. <laughs> oh, my age, my choice. Oh. Well, that was a good, fairly oh. quick one. We did a good job. We did. We did a good job. Now we get to take our creaky old bones yes. to the night shift. Lisa, I feel like you have to go out somewhere tonight in solidarity with what Karina and I will have to do. So. Yes. Um. I'm going out tomorrow night. Are you going to Alanis? Okay, well, that counts. No. No. Fucking. I'm doing no. a show. Alanis Morissette. In an outside courtyard. And cat power. Mm. 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 That new Can... garbage album's pretty good. I haven't bad. listened to it, but I should. Maybe I'll listen to it on my way to work. It, it um, is everything you would want from a garbage album this late in the game. All right. And okay. Alanis is—it's the 25th anniversary or something of Jagged Little Pill, so it's going to be that whole mm-hmm. album. Which, speaking of the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, if it doesn't make you think mm-hmm. about speaking of Woodstock '99, is you know, mm-hmm. mm, it's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good stuff. But yeah, cool. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening. Follow us at Weird Brunch everywhere. Send us uh, stories if you think of them. Um, follow Jason Isbell on Twitter, and <laughs> you can promote yourself, Whitney. Cannot. Okay, follow Whitney Lamont <laughs> on Twitter. Cool. <laughs>